Hello, I'm Daniel Snowman, and this is the second of our six podcasts about the London Philharmonic Choir, the LPC. It's one thing to get into a choir like the LPC, but what is it that makes people want to stay? The way I expressed it to myself was, you sing yourself fresh again. I mean, in a sense, the harder and tarder you are, the harder you work, the tarder you are, the more you need this in your week, say two evenings a week, or perhaps more if you've got a concert coming up. And it just gives you a boost, and it's partly that you're, it's like taking exercise, you're breathing well, but it, it, it's, to me, it's, it's everything, it's social, it's, it's a sort of mental challenge, intellectual challenge. You've got to have your wits about you to track all these little black notes that go up and down the page. Um, and it's emotional. Um, it's also both sexes. It's, it's not just a, like playing rugby or something. You know, it, it, you've got the full range of people there, all ages. Uh, and it's a very lively crowd. One of the most amazing things about being in a choir like this, or maybe it's one of the most amazing things about singing, I don't know, but time and again over the years I've been in the choir, particularly when I was working full-time, I'd be tired at four o'clock or five o'clock, and I'd think, oh, I don't want to go to choir tonight. They're rehearsing something I don't like or something I already know quite well. I want to go home and watch telly or have a bath and go to bed early. But you go to choir because you're committed and you've got to and you're loyal. And you go along and you think, well, I probably won't sing very well. I'm vocally tired as well as mentally tired. But you join in and you do your best. And of course, you get completely carried away with the job in hand. It's not just a vocal thing. It is often a mental thing. You have to count. You have to follow. You have to listen to another part. And by the time you get home, 9.30 or 10 o'clock at night, you're revivified. You're stronger. Your voice is better. Your body is stronger. Your mind is working. It's actually a bit like, you know, going to the gym or something. It actually strengthens you. Yeah. Well, considering what I was doing for a living, you know, which was very much, you know, work in the city in the financial industry, I used to think of the, you know, all chorus singing as the opportunity to, to escape and to establish a different life. For a start, it's introduced me to a wide circle of friends who all do different things. And these are not the sort of people I would mix with, you know, on a day-by-day basis. So, from my perspective, you know, it is... So it's a terrific camaraderie that exists you know, within the choir, which I would find you know, very hard to replace. Absolutely. And there's more too, especially if, like Julian Anderson, you're a composer. I think there are two things. First of all, uh, composers, I think it, it's fair to say that you spend a lot of time at your desk, on your own, at a computer or whatever, drawing board, writing, conceiving notes, realizing large or smaller projects in a very solitary fashion and we don't get a lot of practical performing done unless like say Boulez or Oliver Nussen you're a composer conductor which I am not and uh, so in a sense doing the uh, second bass thing in the in the in the London Philharmonic Choir has filled a little bit of the performing gap 
um, that I didn't have in my life, really, um, until then. So that's one thing. The other thing is a more brutally practical problem to do with learning more about how large-scale choral pieces are put together, because I had two commissions to do such pieces. And not having written for chorus with orchestra before, I felt very, very unsure as to how on earth to, to conceive them. I knew what pieces I wanted to write. I had a very clear idea of the sound that they w might make but I didn't know how to go about making that function practically, and that's why I joined. One of Julian Anderson's four American choruses, I'm a Pilgrim. Of course, the London Philharmonic Choir would be nothing without its choirmaster. Today, Neville Creed, who's the artistic director, and his associate chorus director, Matthew Rowe. The first LPC choirmaster, who was still there and auditioned me back in 1967, was Frederick Jackson. He was succeeded by John Aldiss, and then in the early 1980s, came another well-known figure on the musical scene, Richard Cook. Oh, Richard Cook had a wonderful way of expressing what he wanted musically, using... Still all has. And I'm sure still has, yes. Um, using um, everyday words, but with an Italian flavour to them. And... I always felt that they, they expressed what he wanted as well or even better than Italian. Um, the one everybody knows is Beltissimo, um, but one of my favourites is Wellissimo, uh, which, Wellissimo. Wellissimo, which I always took to mean tutta forza, um, thrilleroso, you know, what would that mean? Uh, anybody any ideas what Thrilleroso might mean? But it's the way he'd say it. Oh, isn't absolutely. It? And he said, um, "Come on, I want it Thrilleroso." Toothpasteoso. That's obviously Molto Legato, and my absolute favourite, Thatcheroso, which <laughs> I felt was Risoluto. Thatcheroso, one of Richard Cook's great expressions. Of course, Richard Cook was also, and still is, a wonderful mimic. He could imitate some of our great conductors, like. Schulte or Tenstedt and actually sound almost more like them than they sounded themselves. Of course, we sang under people like Tenstedt and Schulte many times, one of the great privileges of being in the London Philharmonic Choir. And it wouldn't be honest if I didn't also tell you that I suppose there's another reason why people join a choir like the London Philharmonic. A lot of special relationships have sprung up over the years and across the voice categories. And quite a lot of relationships have come to grief. But let's end with a relationship that began in the choir and has worked. I joined in 71 and John joined the following year, but it took a year for us to meet. We used to see each other across the, um, the 
the wide space. Across a crowded room. <laughs> <laughs> um, but we just knew each other by sight. I don't think we had actually, we actually spoke a year later when um, I met one of his um, fellow bases, particular socialist location, and he invited me to uh, have a drink after the next rehearsal, and that's when I met John. So that was that, and of course we um, we had regular dates twice a week, <laughs> quite apart from many others. Mm -hmm. And um, we were married a couple of years later. In the next podcast, Maestro Memories.